Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Word of God. All right, turn your Bibles now, Philippians chapter 1, verse 25. Philippians chapter 1, verse 25. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Philippians 1.25, it says, and I read, it says, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your fatherance and joy of faith. I wish I could get to say, say with me, progress in the faith, and hear your response. Hallelujah. But let's try it wherever you are. Say with me, progress in the faith. You know, that's so important. Listen, as members of Celebration Church, we have a DNA. We have a DNA. We have an approach to the word, an approach to prayer. We are fervent in prayer. We are diligent in the study of the word. We have an approach. It's never business as usual for members of Celebration Church. So it doesn't matter if you're tuned in online, we're having church. The word of God is being shared. And your response must be the same. Your response must be the same. We will never have a lackadaisical approach to the word of God. Never in our lives. That would never be known about us. Say loud amen. So I want you to sit up and I want you to pay attention. Hallelujah. Because spiritual devotion will always require effort. Paul says continue. I will continue with you for your progress and for your joy. Every time you have the opportunity to hear the word of God, seek progress. Seek progress. Not always Sunday. Oh, let's, okay. And then some of us, we need to avoid that satanic propensity. It's a temptation of the devil, you know, where your mind is already telling you, oh, I've heard, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. You must rebuke that thought. You must rebuke. This is not a science class. This is the word of God. Because what you might already know is what you might desperately need. Because it's a different thing, you know, to know something in your head and for that same truth to stimulate and stir you. The truth you already know you might desperately need. So pay attention. You must always have that attitude to the word of God. You know, I caught myself doing something, you know, some time ago and it was interesting to me. Um, I was having such a busy day, one midweek service, a lot of things I needed to tidy up. I was supposed to travel to preach and a lot of other things. So last minute, I told my wife, you're going to preach for me. And she agreed. I gave her the sermon notes. The interesting thing is, as she was teaching in church, I began to take notes. And the, the, the sermon notes was from me. I had it. But I just didn't know how to listen to the word of God and not take notes, especially since there is a way that you will present it, some angles to it that I never even saw. And that's just the proper attitude to the word of God. So you must always have a disposition that anticipates progress, progress in the faith, just in case, you know, you're a new member of, of this church or you just started tuning in online, by that we mean spiritual growth. That's what Paul means, progress in the faith and advancement in your knowledge and your understanding of the word of God. That's so important. Look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. So it is one thing to know something. It is another thing to prosper in knowledge. Paul is talking about progress in the faith. Not just faith. Not just understanding. But progress therein. It's so important. And Paul says the same thing to Colossae. He says in Colossians 3 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, I'm going to do a brief commentary on this, and I'm just going to highlight a few words, um, especially the words richly, wisdom, and psalms, all right, as they appear in that verse. But think about this as, as, as it pertains to what I've been saying prior. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Greek word there means abundantly, in abundance. In abundance. Not at the surface, superficial level. He's talking about something overflowing. He wants you to be rich and prosperous in knowledge. In the revelation of Christ. There is a standard quality of knowledge God expects from you. Standard. Not just to know it 
on a surface level, go deeper, be in-depth. Know it to the extent that you can teach it to a child. Do you understand what I just say, said? Know it until you can teach it to a child. Not just until you can teach it, but until you can teach it to a child. Anything you can't say simply, you don't truly really understand. This is so important. All right? You know, I see a lot of Bible students so lazy today. Anytime they want to quote a Bible verse, they always paraphrase. They always paraphrase. You've been in Christ 10 years. You're still paraphrasing John 3.16. What's the problem? How many verses do you know? Now, John 3.16, I'm using that maybe as an exaggeration and all of that. But you can't keep paraphrasing. There's a text that says something like that. Don't keep doing that. Go deeper. I want to see progress. God wants to see progress and joy in your faith. Read it. Many times, you know, the verses we, we know are the verses we hear often. We've not read it ourselves. And that's why you see someone misquoting something because he heard it that way. Be a diligent student of the word of God. Take advantage of this lockdown. Can I tell you something? When you were walking, you told God it's because you were busy. What will you say now? What will you say now? How's your study life? Be diligent. All right? This is so important. So, you know, a lot of people desire abundance in money. You don't want to barely get by. You don't want your money to finish in the middle of the month. All right? A lot of people have, you know, desire abundance in, you know, relationships, in friendships. I don't mean romantic relationships. You shouldn't have abundance of, you know, in friendships, in acquaintances. All right? But God seeks. He seeks. His desire for you is abundance in revelation knowledge. Abundance in revelation knowledge. Go deeper. Take this as a, a prophetic instruction. Go deeper. Take the time. All right? Study this thing even more. All right, let's go on. He says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. What does it mean, words of Christ? He simply means the message of Christ. The message of Christ. The message of his death, burial, and resurrection. We simply mean the gospel. It says, let the gospel dwell in you richly. You see, I've said this time and again, a lot of people have, have the terrible misconception that the gospel is for sinners alone. It's not true. It's not true at all. The same message that got you saved should prosper in your heart. Because the same message that gets you saved will keep you revived. By revive, revived, there's a strict you know, definition and explanation of that. But I mean it in the general popular context of having a vibrant devotional life. All right. And so this is important. This is so important to, for you to understand that you preach the gospel to sinners and you teach the gospel to believers. Because the same message that brought us into the body of Christ will build us up in maturity. Do you understand that? For instance, think about the fact that the people Paul is talking to were already Christians. Paul was a missionary to Colossae. He got them saved. And now he's telling them that word, that message that got you saved, let it dwell in you richly. Let it prosper in your heart. Let it build you up in your devotion. Let it change the way you talk, the way you walk, you know. And, and that's why he said, richly in all wisdom. You see, wisdom has always been linked and connected with application in your daily life. So he's saying, let it filter in. There's something about knowing something in your head and it's a totally different thing for what you know to influence your actions and your decisions, your thoughts, your words, your deeds, every aspect of your life. He's saying, we want to see in your daily life that you're growing. Let the word of God, Christ, dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let it be practical. Let me give you an, for an example. For instance, we learned the first sermon we had in this series is that grace is a revelation in the word. Grace is a revelation. Now you might have heard that and said, oh, such a powerful sermon, I was blessed. But how does it filter in to your consciousness, into your devotion? How does that filter in? 
For instance, some people who heard that sermon will still go online and see some funny fellow who claimed to go to heaven and had some strange, you know, views on what heaven looks like, what hell looks like, and who is in hell. And even if it stands contrary to the word of God, they will believe that. How can you believe that, you know, grace is a revelation in the word and put aside the revelation in the word for something someone said experientially? That's not progress and joy in the faith. It's not progress and joy in the faith if it does not influence your thoughts and your actions. A lot of the people, I dare say most of the people who claimed to have these experiences, they lied. And I've dwelt on that before. Can I tell you something? The people who have the true experiences, they are not hasty to share them. You see from Paul's example, when he had a supernatural encounter, went to the third heaven, he, the way he talked about it, even in third person, you have to study in depth to know that he was talking about himself. He said, whether in the body or out of the body, I can't tell. Someone who was caught up in the third heaven. And that's what he says. From the story that Jesus told himself about the rich man and Lazarus, we learn a lesson. It is not the modus operandi of God to send people from hell to one people on the earth. He, does, he doesn't do that. The rich man begged and appealed. He said, send someone from here to tell my brothers. You know what Jesus' response was? If they will not hear the prophets, if they will not hear the law, if they will not read the word of God on the earth, if they will not believe the men I have sent on the earth, neither will they believe this. Neither will they believe anybody who is from here. That's the mentality of God as it pertains to sending people. So when you just hear someone, I, I remember years ago, someone just claimed to go to hell and unsettled the body of Christ saying, you know, a famous female preacher who died, you know, went to hell because she wore miniskirts. And all of that. Listen, I'm an advocate for this interest and I wish I had enough time to talk about this. You know, and maybe I'm going to dwell, about the, dwell on that another time for a reason I will tell you later. You know, um, I mean, when, I, when the time arises, I will tell you while we're talking about it. However, come on. What does the word of God say as the requirement for salvation? Miniscate is not the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. This is not the defining factor. Or long skirts. Long skirts is not the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is. The gospel is. This is so important. This is so important that you understand. We, uh, we moved on. We talked about grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. You know, it, you know, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You may know it in your head. But when you go to God in prayer, and you still subconsciously scan your life, you know, in the past seven days to see if, you know, you are worthy to be praying to God. And, you know, the silliness of it all, you now feel more confident when you feel you did okay in the past seven days. It's terrible. Because your stand before God, it's a, it's a privilege of grace, a gift of grace. And if you don't understand that now, that's That's terrible. That's terrible, okay? It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. And so you may claim to know the grace message and still struggle with this. Or maybe you need a healing. And somewhere in your mind, you want to ask, you know, for a healing or pray for a healing or pray for someone else's healing. And you're thinking, oh, uh, I've not been doing so well. Whereas in Acts chapter 3, all right, when, you know, that guy at the beautiful gate had just been killed and people were inquiring of Peter, he said, it is not by our power or holiness that we have done this. Clearly, clearly, it's the name and faith in the name of Jesus that has given this man perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The name, the name, it's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. We talked about grace is a seal, but when you hear about end of the world narratives, especially at this time, you know you're still unsettled. You're still unsettled. Hallelujah. It is for you that Paul wrote this text. He says, let the word of Christ, the message of the gospel, the message of the grace of God, let it dwell in you. Let it prosper in your heart. 
until it filters into what people can see as wisdom, a practical demonstration of knowledge, the influence of knowledge in your actions. That's what wisdom is. Hallelujah. This is so important. It's a, the consciousness, consciousness of the gospel will bring revival to your daily life. It's a consciousness to carry. And that's what I wanted to share with you. But anyways, all of that is still introductory because you know what he says next? Let's start again. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. He says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, this is very interesting. How is the message of Christ going to dwell in you richly according to the context? He says, through a teaching ministry. And how is that teaching ministry going to be communicated through the songs that we sing? Listen, in the body of Christ, our music is a teaching ministry. I call it lyrical theology. All right, lyrical theology, such that from our songs, people can learn what Christ has done. Our songs must be detailed, all right? Our songs must be detailed. We, 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 try, we, we must try as often as possible to be, to be as detailed as possible. We should have songs that not, don't only say God is good, but say how he is good. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Give me a second. You're distracting me. Glory to God. So he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We admonish with songs. We teach with songs. Hallelujah. This is so important. Anybody who has and understands the grace of God will be a singer. Listen, I am not talking about the dexterity of your voice. You know, some of us, we sing on key. Some of us, we sing off key. Some of us, we don't have key at all. <laughs> it doesn't really matter to God. Because, you see, in the kingdom, the singing we are talking about is not music. It's not music. It's a teaching ministry. All right? We don't sing to entertain. We don't sing to display dexterity. We sing to teach. We sing to edify others. We sing to be edified. So if the word of Christ is going to dwell in me richly, I'm going to have to learn to sing. To sing about it. It's so important. Just in case you don't already know, the theme of today's service is grace is a song. Grace is a song. And he's saying, you see, the word of Christ that you already know, the message of the gospel, the message of grace that you already know, he's asking you to sing about it. Let, it, let there be psalms about it. Let there be hymns about it. Let there be spiritual songs about it. This is so important. This is crucial. This is an instruction in the word of God. There must be something special about songs for him to say that. We must take songs seriously. We must be able to print, print out the lyrics of a song and it will look like a sermon note. Of course, some will be more detailed than others. But as much as possible, we must realize that the reason why we sing psalms is because we want to teach and admonish one another and to edify us, ourselves. We sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. What is the content of our song? The word of Christ. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So when he says... Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. What was he advocating for in this particular context? An abundance of songs. An abundance of songs about the gospel. That's what he was advocating for. In psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, he said, sing about it all the time. Let me just say this. I want to talk about the power of songs. The power of songs. What edge do songs have? Why would Paul say that we should, you know, use music, we should use songs in our teaching ministry? Number one, this is not Bible learning. I just want to, to emphasize this. It's going to bless us. Number one, songs give us the privilege of recollection. Those of you who, you know, you, 
basically, most of us online, I don't know who is online, but virtually all of us can relate to this. In school, there were some things that were difficult to memorize that we formed songs for, you know. And the moment we formed songs for them, maybe for the first 20 elements on the periodic table or something like that, the moment you formed songs for them, you could now easily remember. Because the number one power of songs is recollection. Recollection. Anything you sing about, you recollect. Can I tell you something? I can give you an information of 200 words. And when I'm done, you may be able to give a summary of all that I said. All right? But if I sing it to you, you are more likely to remember most of the things I said, the way I said it. Do you understand? So, I mean, songs give us the privilege of recollection. Recollection. All right? Another thing is songs. Have you noticed... You don't even have to consciously learn songs to know songs. The moment you hear it, you just, you just recollect it. You just remember. All right. So song makes learning more effective. You, that's, that's still under number one, recollection. You just tend to recollect. Number two is emphasis. Emphasis. Can I say this? Um, if I want to sing... I could say this to you. I'm so blessed to be yours. I'm so blessed to be yours. I'm so blessed forever to be yours, to belong to you. I stand by faith in what you've done, complete in what you've done. And now, now that's powerful as it pertains to the context of the gospel. But when I sing it to you, especially when, um, how, do, how does music create emphasis? By repetition? When you keep saying, I stand by faith in what you've done, complete in what you've done, you know, that's emphasis. Or when you change the pitch, this is not a music class, but when you change the pitch from a low tone to a high tone, that's emphasis. When you raise your voice, that's emphasis. All right? And what does that do? It blesses our mind. It stirs our spirit in a way that you know, just normal monotonic speaking cannot do. So, this, so number one is recollection. And number two is emphasis, all right? A mature believer would take songs seriously. Every mature believer would take songs seriously because songs give direction to our spirits. Many times, you know, the focus of your spirit will go the direction of the songs that you are singing. Can I tell you this? Don't cast this on stone, but it's just an observation. Many times, when someone is beginning to backslide, one of the litmus tests is that his songs will change. The songs that get that person's attention will change. Check it. Check it. Or some of the songs that would easily stir you, move you to tears, they're just, they're just there. They're just there. All right? So it's something to really watch out for as cause and effect. If I'm stirred in my spirit, you can tell from the songs I'm listening to predominantly. And if I want to stir my spirit, I can use songs. So it's something you can walk backwards with. It's a technique you can use. So that's so important. You see, and so the Bible is a book of songs. There are 185 songs in the Bible. Some people might argue there's slightly more, all right, because there are some that you can argue whether they are songs or not. But 185 of them guaranteed in the Bible. Isn't it interesting? Men of God in the Bible, they were songwriters. David, Solomon, Jeremiah, Moses, Emmanuel Irene. <laughs> Just joking. No, I'm not. All right. But I well, I'm not in the Bible. So, but David was a songwriter. Solomon was a songwriter. Solomon was a little edgy and arrogant about it. He called his collection of songs, Song of Songs. I'm like, take a chill pill, brother. Hallelujah. I was about to stroke him, but no. All right. Um, Jeremiah, even Jeremiah, you know, someone says Jeremiah was a songwriter. Yes. The book of Lamentations, they are actually songs. They are actually songs. All right. And Moses. Moses not only is 
Or was Moses a songwriter? He was a very, I mean, his songs are one of the most crucial in the entire Bible. And I'm going to prove it to you. The first recorded song in the Bible. Now, now this is very important, and you may not have heard this anywhere before, so pay attention. The first recorded song in the Bible was a song written by Moses. And the last recorded song in the Bible was written by Moses. The first and the last. This is so crucial. The reason why this is crucial is because there's a principle in Bible interpretation called the principle of first mention that says the way a word is first used in the Bible guides you to understand how the word should be understood throughout the entire Bible. The first time a word is used, the way it is used would guide your understanding on, on how it is to be used throughout the entire Bible. So if Moses, now this is not a mention per se, but the first time a song is being sung, it can tell us about songs, especially from God's idea. The first time was Exodus 15. Hi. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Every time I think about this story, it stirs me up so much. You have to picture it, okay? You have to picture it because it's, it's, it's a huge story. You know, what is the biggest water source you've ever stood before? Each time I go to the beach, I'm just amazed at the wonder of God. Just amazed. And I like to be amazed from afar. <laughs> I don't like to go close because I'm just like, what kind of, you know, <laughs> and, and, and all of that. You know, and just imagine an actual ocean. The children of Israel are standing there. Moses is there. Nowhere to go. And he stretches his rod. Oh, think about this. This is a true life story. Do you realize? This is not a movie. A true life story. He stretched his rod at that red sea and it parted. This is, this is huge. It parted. The Bible says, you know, the sea divided to the left and to the right. Dry land was in the middle. The sea formed walls to the left and to the right. It congealed. The first picture of an aquarium in the world. Congealed to the left and to the right. And now the children of Israel get to walk in the middle. It must have taken them days to get to the other side. Think about that. You know, think about what was running through Moses' mind. For days, you are literally walking in the midst of a miracle. Seeing it to your left and to your right. I mean, that, that's what you're seeing. The ocean parted and you're walking in the middle sustained by the miraculous and whilst you are in the middle of the ocean you know Pharaoh and his chariots and all his horsemen they charge after you and then the ocean closes behind and they all drown but you are still preserved you know the, you see the sea congealed to the left and to the right and you are walking beholding that think about what would be running through your mind if that was you can I, get, can I tell you something? The moment Moses and the children of Israel got to the other side, Moses broke forth into singing. <laughs> you see, this is what you have to understand about singing. It's not about being a singer. It's about the genuineness of the experience. It's an outburst. You see where we got the name from? It's an outburst of a genuine experience. You just fight. You, Moses couldn't contain himself. Oh, he began to sing. And so he sang a song in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Exodus 15, verse 1. The Bible says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Hallelujah. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has been thrown into the sea. In verse 20, Exodus 15, 20, same chapter, 20th verse, the Bible says, Then Miriam and the, pro Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand. 
And all the women went out after her with timbrels. You see where that African Women Association dance started from? You know, they'll be, they'll be blocking the queue. <laughs> this is where it started. <laughs> it's age long. All right. All the women went with her and they sang the same song. The horse and the rider have been thrown into the sea. This must have been the chorus. It was a long song. All right. You see, there were long songs and short songs in the Bible. Psalm 119 was a long song. Very long. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. More than 1,000 words. And then the shortest song in the Bible has seven words. So when you see some people just saying, glory, 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 from beginning to end, you know that there's an example of that in the Bible also. Anyways, but, but think about it. They began to sing. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Verse 2. Exodus 15. Moses said this. He said, the Lord is my strength. And my song, he has become my salvation. Take that again. The Lord is my strength and my song, he has become my salvation. This is something important to learn. The salvation of God is your song. Grace is a song. Did you hear what I just said? He said, the Lord is my strength. He's my song. You sing about the strength of God. Listen, this is something important to learn. When God demonstrates his strength on your behalf, you sing about it. You break forth into singing. That's the divine response. Can I tell you something? Don't you see it's a natural propensity when someone does something well that amazes you? You know, there is a propensity in us to want to hail the person. When you watch football, have you ever been so impressed? Of course, Lionel Messi, the best footballer ever by far. It's not even close, all right? You know, and you're watching him in his dexterous movement and you jump and you say, wow, you know, never before have we seen a footballer like this. You know, there, there is a response, a natural response when you see someone doing something amazing, you jump and you respond. You talk about it. You might even sing about it. I remember there was a guy, you know, in school. He was playing so well in a manner that was unrehearsed. Everybody just began to sing his name. And they were beating drums. And, and it was, you know, for some reason, that memory never left me. And they were just beating drums and wish. his name was Elijah. You know, and we were, Elijah, 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 you know. And the boy's head was swelling too. He was even doing more. You see, these are things that have filtered into nature. All right? And so Moses says, the Lord is my strength and my song. If he is your salvation, he is your song. You will sing about it. He wants you to. You are meant to. You are supposed to. That's the normal desired response. Say that with me. He's my song. He's my song. He's my song. And like Miram, you take a timbrel sometimes. You dance about it. Don't say, oh, um, it's not my I'm not really the dancing type. Listen, you are, you are too cautious. You are acting like David's wife, Saul's daughter. All right? If the thought of the kindness of God overwhelms you, it will stare you. You will start moving before you realize. You will not even be concerned about the coordination of your legs with your hands. You just jump. If jumping is the only thing you can do, you jump anyway. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glory to God. Because he's my salvation, he's my song. Listen, there will never be anything more important to sing about. Did you hear what I just said? There will never be anything more important to sing about. Never. There is never any melody that a human tongue can project that will be more important than what we are talking about. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. I told you this was also the last song in the Bible. Look at Revelation chapter 15 verse 2. Revelation chapter 15, verse 2. The Bible says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have received the victory over the beast, 
Hey, glory to God. Those who have received the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea glass, having harps of God. Thank you, Jesus. They were having harps of God. <laughs> Instruments of God's praises. The Bible says they sing the song of Moses. You see that? They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb. <laughs> what a song. The song of the Lamb. The song of the Lamb. The song of his blood. The song of the redemption in his name. This is a genre of music. They sang the song of Moses. The song of deliverance. The song of salvation. The song of the strength of God, the, the divine strength of God, demonstrated on our behalf. And they said, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Hallelujah. I'm giving you lyrics for worship. They called him King of the saints. You are our king. He's the king of the saints. Thank you, Jesus. He says, who shall not fear you? O Lord God, and glorify your name. He's saying this, he's calling this the song of Moses because one of the things Moses said about the deliverance is, he said, Philistine will hear. <laughs> the Philistines will hear what you've done, they will be afraid. Don't forget, when they went to Jericho, Rahab had heard. Rahab had heard. He said, I heard about what God did for you guys, how he brought you out. And that was why Rahab favored them. She knew these people shouldn't be joked with. That story inspired faith in Rahab. <laughs> the reputation of God in his goodness towards you should be shared with the world. It should go far and wide. All right? Like Albert sang in that song before I came up, I will sing of, the, of your love and tell it to the whole wide world. Sing it till the whole world sings along. This is so important. This is what God will have us do. And so, in Ephesians chapter 2 that we've been dwelling on this month, as Paul begins to tell you who you were before, what Christ has done, you know, he says, in time past we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in children of disobedience. We had our conversations in time past in the loss of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Then he says, but now, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. He said, by grace are you saved. And raised us up. Now, so he's talking about the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the strength of God demonstrated on your behalf. And he expects you to respond the way Moses responded. You know, he says he raised you up to sit with Christ in heavenly places. Then in verse 7, he said that in the ages to come, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ. He was doing it to show off. He was doing it to demonstrate his grace, his kindness. Hallelujah. He did it to get your attention, to make an impression. This is, this is a mentality to have. So, I'm, so if, have you ever given someone a special gift? Or maybe you've not even given the person yet, but you bought it. And because you love the person, you can't wait to see how the person will respond. So you have pictured it in your mind. Imagine you now give the person, and the person is like, ah, you shouldn't have. <laughs> there is, <laughs> you know, I can imagine, you know, what will be running through your mind. That's not the right way to respond. The response shows appreciation for the gift. Can I tell you something? When we talk about the message of grace, the, the response is so important. And I'm telling you today, grace is a song. He put a song on my lips. Hallelujah. Ha. I would play and I would sing with the harps of God, the instruments of God, the instruments of consecration. You see, there are aspects of my life I've consecrated to his praise forever. To his praise forever. Instruments of consecration. I will sing the songs of the Lamb. 
I'll sing the songs of the Lamb. Sing about what he has done. Sing about his redemptive work. The word of Christ would dwell in me richly. I would admonish myself and others in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Glory be to God. I will sing the songs of God. God has a song. God has a song. One of my best verses in the Bible happens to be an Old Testament text. You know, and if you followed me for a while, you know where I'm going to is Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. We can't talk about grace is a song and not talk about this. We're talking about the song of God right now. Hallelujah. Song of God. How God flexes his strength for his people. And how he responds and how he expects people to respond. Zephaniah 3, 17. You know, I know the Hebrew and I like to show off. And it says, Adonai Eloyahig back your back. Gibor Yeshua, you know, El Gibor, you know, the mighty one. It says, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. This was a prophecy of the redemptive work of Christ. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He's in your midst. This was a prophecy of the incarnation. God was going to take on flesh and dwell amongst us. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is what Emmanuel means. God with us. He's in the midst of you, mighty, and he tells you his purpose. He's not just there. What, what is the context of his might? In salvation. Hallelujah. He's mighty to save. He will save. He will save. A declaration of the redemptive work, the purpose of God in his Christ. He's with us, mighty to save. And then what does he say next? He says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. Hallelujah. We talked about that last week. Grace is just, right? Because, you see, the sinful, all the demands of justice have been met. And now, he's going to delight over you. Because you're free. Have you ever done something so good, you know, that you delighted over it? You were proud of yourself for what you've done. So God looks at us, products of his grace, products, you know, I like the way Paul put it in Romans chapter 9, objects of mercy, vessels of mercy. He looks at the objects of his mercy and he rejoices, you know, ah, he rejoices over us. A lot of people think that when God thinks about us, he's constantly angry. The Bible says he rejoices over us with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. You know, when you're, you're like the prodigal son, you're about to say, oh, the things I, um, I, I know, you, I will never be your son again. I know I don't deserve, you know, all those songs, all those um, self-pity songs that we try to sing. But God will quiet you whilst he was about to talk. The Bible says the father embraced him. Put his cloak over him. Threw a party. Call, raised an alarm. He said, my son was lost and now he is found. He has quieted you in love. He has quieted your fear. Oh, your fear. Oh, Christ is coming again. Before, that brought terror to your heart. Now it has brought joy. He has quieted you in his love. Hallelujah. Quieted you in his love. He has taken away the fear, the anxiety, the concerns. Hallelujah. You are quieted in, in love. Assured in his love. Hallelujah. And he says he will rejoice over you with singing. God is singing about you. <laughs> singing about what he has done for you. Singing about the efficacy of his redemptive work. God is so sure about his work in you that he's singing about it. What about you? How about you start singing? And for God's sake, if you would sing, sing the songs of God. Sing what is consistent with what God has done. Sing what God is singing. Sing what God is singing. Because the Bible says God is singing. So sing his song. Sing his song. Don't sing anything that is inconsistent, you know. With what he has done. Sing about how he has conquered your old habit. The Bible says the body of sin is destroyed. He nailed it to the cross. All the allegations against you. They were nailed to the cross. The body of sin is destroyed. 
Sing about how we took the stony heart out of your flesh. Put his spirit within you to cause you to walk in a statute. Sing the songs of God. Paul said, but God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved you, even when you were dead with sins, has quickened you together with Christ. He said, by grace are you saved. He said, he has raised you up and made you sit together with Christ. Sing about that. Sing about that. Sing the songs of God. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 5, he says, For he hath said, 13, 5, the second part, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we also may boldly see. Meaning, what he has said has informed what we see. What he sings has informed what we sing, how we sing. We take it right from his lips. Have you ever heard someone singing, you know, and you just joined uninvited because the song was so stirring? This should be, you know, the summary of your devotion, singing the songs of God. That stuff can be very annoying when the person who wants to join you cannot sing. You know, people like that, people who don't know how to sing, they always want to, and then they will try to part. Have you you experienced that before? You do. But when it comes to the Lord, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When you're singing, can I, let me give you this illustration. A man came back home to discover that his three-year-old daughter had tried to write him a note and just put it on the door and said, Daddy, I love you, but spelt the love wrongly. So instead of love, she wrote love, you know, W-U-V or something like that, love you. You know, as the dad, will you come back home and say, ah, what is this? You didn't even spell it right. (laughs) No, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to carry your daughter, spin her around, hug her, and say you love her too. So when you're singing to God, God is not scrutinizing, you know, and say, ah, you missed the pitch here. You missed, you should have used saw. <laughs> That's not the priority of God. Hallelujah. Let the sincerity of your heart, all right, and the accuracy of your knowledge, your revelation, be, in, you know, be invested in the songs that you sing. That's what is more important. Hallelujah. Sing the songs of God. Sing songs that are consistent and up to date with what Christ has done. Not all the songs of David are songs of God. And this is what I mean. There were some of the songs that David wrote that were accurate at that time based on his current reality. But after David, Christ came, he died, he rose again. Things have changed. Sing updated revelation. This is so important. Don't sing, draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord. You may cry about it. You know, a lot of people, the moment you try to correct songs, because they have this strong emotional attachment to songs. But can I tell you something? To grow, you must have, to, you must have the objectivity to look into the word of God and to do what it says. You don't sing, draw me nearer. He has brought you nigh. He says, you who were afar off have been brought nigh by the blood of Christ. He's not drawing me nearer. He has brought me nigh by the blood of Christ. I'm near. I'm close to God. In fact, he dwells in me. How much closer can he get? And he's not drawing me closer to his bleeding side. No, he has risen from the dead. He's not bleeding anymore. He's not bleeding. Hallelujah. This is so important. Sing the songs of God. I'm going to end with Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54. Glory to God. In Isaiah chapter 54, another divine instruction. Let me give you the background of the story. You know, Paul talked about this in Galatians chapter 3. He was using the analogy of Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And the concubine. So Sarah had an issue with her womb. God had promised that she was going to have a child. God promised Abraham Sarah would have a child. 
and she was waiting for a child. But she pushed Abraham when she was tired of waiting to go to the concubine to have a child. And now they had Ishmael. Ishmael came by natural procreation. There's no miracle about it. When a man whose body is working properly meets a woman whose body is working properly, they're going to have a child. So that was a symbol of works. That's what Paul says. He said he called it an allegory, a symbol of works. No miracle was required for it. But now, Sarah could only have a child by promise. And so the children, the child of Sarah was a child of promise, all right? A symbol of being a child of God by grace. And then Ishmael was a symbol of being a child of God by works. And it says these two are an allegory. The same way the Jews too. They think they are children of God just because they are children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Whereas the only reason Abraham can actually have a lineage actually is by the promise of God. And so the real children of God will be counted based on their faith in the promise of God in Christ, just like Abraham could only have children by believing in the promise of God in Christ. Do you understand the analogy? And so, even if there are biological lineage of children, and you know, the, 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 the Jews had a superiority complex. We, are the, we have Abraham, our father. But by faith, people who have never been to Israel are even more children of Abraham than the, than the Israelites. The Bible says, they that are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And this is, this is, this is where Paul got his teaching from. In Isaiah chapter 54 from verse 1, it says, sing! That's an instruction. This is your response to salvation. Grace is a song. If you understand his redemption, this is your response. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Oh, just like Sarah. All right. This is a picture of the Gentile nations. We were not called children of God. All right. We're like a barren womb. We could only be children of God by promise, by prophetic fulfillment. But now he's asking barren nations. He says, you who have not born, break forth into singing. He says, you who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife. This was a prophecy of the future that God will look upon the earth and count more people in Christ amongst the general, general, Gentile nations than in Israel. It has happened. It has happened. More are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, says the Lord. What a powerful prophecy. This was a prophecy about you. A prophecy about you. A prophecy about you. About 3,000 years ago, this was prophesied about you. More are the children of the desolate. Just look at how many people are tuned in all, all over the world right now. And even more to other churches all over the world. More are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife. He said, enlarge the place of your tent. He said, the body of Christ is not going to be small. You're going to need more space. You know, the people who see visions of heaven and they see only one person strolling in, they didn't see right. Because the promise of Abraham, that God gave Abraham, he said, look at the stars, see if you can be able to count them. That's the number of children I'm going to give you. There's going to be a lot of us. And Isaiah said, enlarge the place of your tent. Is it, is it a small place you want to keep the children of God? There are plenty. <laughs> There's millions and billions of us. More are coming. Hallelujah. He said, enlarge the place of your tents and stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Strengthen the stakes. A lot of people are coming in here. Glory to God. He said, don't spare. Don't spare. For you shall expand to the right and to the left. And your, your descendants shall inherit the nations. Thank you, Lord. Your descendants shall inherit the nations and make desolate cities inhabited. That's how far we're going to spread in influence. 
the influence of the church cannot be stopped. Lockdown or whatever, we grow stronger. Can I tell you something? Matho fractus, velenigo rat levinico sostaches to fartes, divrenigo rat associes tepenes. And we will experience more growth in this season, says the Lord. And the prophecy of movement will be fulfilled. So says the Lord. He says, for I've taken your message from a message in the corner of the earth in Africa. And I'm spreading it across the languages of the world. It is time for global ministry. It is time for global ministry, says the Lord. Prepare for it. Open your eyes to see the divine opportunities, says Jesus. For the rich of this year will be greater than all the seven years prior. So says the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. He said, desolate cities will be inhabited. He said, ask and I will give you the heathen nations for your inheritance. Thank you, Jesus. He said, do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither will you be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth. You're listening to me under the sound of my voice. You've done terrible things in the past. The Bible says you will forget the shame of your youth. The love of Christ is going to be such a powerful revelation and compensation and overpayment for all the failures of your past. It said you will forget the shame of your youth. It doesn't matter how many babies you've taken out of your womb, you'll forget the, the shame of your youth. It doesn't matter how many people you've duped. You're a new man in Christ. New man in Christ. You forget the shame of your youth and you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. He tells you why. Oh, glory to God. He's using metaphors, widowhood. We were without, you know, his spouse. But now he said, for thy maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He is God of the whole earth. Not just God of Israel, God of the whole earth. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. Your maker is your husband. Hallelujah. No wonder the church is called the bride of Christ. He's coming for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He says, For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. Like a youthful wife, you will refuse, says the Lord. For a moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. Hallelujah. The KJV says, Everlasting kindness. Everlasting kindness, everlasting kindness, a kindness that will not run out, a kindness that cannot be frustrated, a kindness that cannot be overwhelmed, everlasting, eternal kindness. He's not going to change his mind. Everlasting kindness, glory to God, everlasting kindness. He said, for a moment I've forsaken you, but with great mercy I will gather you. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. Yeah, this is the verse I was talking about. But with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And now he makes a powerful statement. In verse 9, he says, For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah will no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn <laughs> that I will not be angry with you nor rebuke you. Can I tell you something? God swore. Never to be angry with us. And he's saying, he gave you an illustration to let you know how strong this covenant is. He said, just like I promised, I swore never to destroy the earth with water. He said, I've sworn never to be angry with you. He has sworn never to be angry with you, nor rebuke you. Hallelujah. He, and what it means by rebuke is to cast you away. Of course, he can correct you, and he will do that often. But never to be angry with you and to cast you away. He says, for the mountains shall depart. Hey, glory to God. He's telling you what is easier to happen than for his kindness to depart. He says, for the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you. 
It is easier for all the mountains in the world to just stand up, raise their skirt, and start running. <laughs> and for the hills to run away than for his kindness to depart from you. He says, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed. He said, his covenant of peace will never be removed. This is the word of the Lord to you. Just thank him right now and worship him. Thank him right now. Give him the praise right now. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.